Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Good to see you. Good morning. Hey, um... I was just out at man camp on Friday, cutting some wood and making wood chips and getting things ready. And uh, I'm, oh my goodness, if you're not signed up for man camp, if you're a man and you're not signed up for man camp, why aren't you? It is so beautiful out there this time of year. It's going to be an amazing weekend. It's next weekend. And if you're not signed up, you need to sign up now. Tomorrow is the cutoff. You will not be able to sign up after tomorrow. So uh, if you're putting it off, if you're on the fence, don't be on the fence. It's going to be an amazing weekend. We're going to have such a good time. Uh, and so uh, sign up and get signed up for man camp. It's going to be awesome. All right. We're in a brand new sermon series called Off the Map. And the reason we're doing this series is because so much of life is lived off the map. We don't want it to be lived off the map. We want to be on the map. We want to know where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. We want to know all of that. Uh, and generally speaking, we don't have that luxury a lot of the time. You know, when I was growing up, we would go on a vacation. Before you went on a vacation, you went to this place. It actually still exists. I'm not sure what they do there these days, but back in the day, you would go to this little place. It's right next to CBS on National Road. It was called Triple A. And you would go to Triple A and you'd say, I want to go on a vacation to Myrtle Beach or uh, Wyoming or whatever. And they would get out this thing called a triptych. Anybody remember the triptych? Can I get an amen on the triptych, right? It was awesome. They'd pull out this map, and, and they knew where all the construction was, and everything that Google tells you today, they knew then because we didn't have Google. And they would, they would take a, a magic marker, a, a highlighter, and they would highlight the route, the best route to get to wherever you're going. And you knew when you got to, to this route, you took a right. And when you got to that route, you took a left. And it was all on the map. And that's how we like to live life, isn't it? We, we want God, if you're a follower of Jesus, most certainly you want God to be able to tell you, okay, do I take a right here or do I take a left here? Do I, do I go this way? Do I go that way? And a lot of times it doesn't work that way. A lot of times we're off the map. Back when I was an outward bound instructor in North Carolina, we had a, a group of students in the, in the wilderness right on the North Carolina-Georgia border. And we were on top of this mountain, and I know this mountain well because we spent the whole day there. Um, on the, according to our topographical map, there was a, a route, a path, a trail that went off the map to the or went off the mountain to the south, uh, and we were supposed to take that that trail, but they couldn't find it. They spent the whole day looking for that trail, walking around and around and around on top of this mountain. It was very very frustrating. Now, as an instructor, my job was not to so step in and solve their problem for it. It was to allow them to work through the problem and figure it out. But eventually, like by that evening when we were still on the same mountain and lost a day's travel, I pulled them all together and said, okay, guys, life lesson. Sometimes the trail's not there. And, and in this case, the, the, the foliage had grown up and they were never going to find that trail because it had grown over. And so what I did is I said, look, here's where we need to get to. Here's where we are. And if you go south, 
That's the direction we're going. You have a compass. You can figure out which way is south. And we know there's a ravine. Now, is it the right ravine? We're not sure. We're in the wilderness and, and all of that. But if you go down that ravine, it's going to hit another ravine, another stream, and that will run into another stream and into another stream, and they'll get bigger and bigger, and eventually you're going to hit a road. And then you'll know where you are. And so we gave them some parameters, some tools to use, and we headed off the next morning, and we got to where we were going. But sometimes, and in fact, I would tell you a lot of times, life feels like that, doesn't it? We're, we're not sure exactly, but we're figuring it out as we go. Um, and there's this thing inside of us. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want God, you want to to live out God's will, or at least there's part of you that wants to live out God's will. There's another part of you that's like, I want to do it my way. But, but there's something inside of us that wants to live out God's will. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you that you want to know what God's will is too, because God's will and God's ways, they work uh, and they make life better. Uh, and so we want to know that. And, and the apostle Paul captures this sentiment. He writes to the church in, in Colossia, uh, hasn't met these people yet. Somebody else stopped by Colossia, led a bunch of people to Jesus. They started a church. Paul hears about them. He writes them a letter, and this is what he says. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with what? The knowledge of his will the will of God. Now, Paul could be praying for anything. For them. He could be praying for blessing, protection, you know, whatever else. But he wants them to know the will of God through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And then he says, so that, so here are all the benefits that come from knowing the will of God, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You might be pleasing to God. Um, and that you might, you know, live a life worthy, that you uh, will bear fruit in every good work, that you'll get traction in your life instead of spinning your wheels, that you'll grow in the knowledge of God, that you, there's something about knowing God's will and knowing God. The two of them are kind of connected. And then being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, it brings strength to our lives, internal fortitude, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And it strengthens us to get us through those times in life where we have to be patient, like when we're trying to find a parking spot at Kroger's. Just kidding. All right. So anyway, so Paul prays that they might know God's will because everything else is going to fall into place if we know God's will. So we want to know God's will. The problem is, is that we don't understand how God's will works. We don't understand how it works. So what I want to do today is I want to take the first part of this message and unpack how God's will works. And the second part of this message, I want to look specifically how we can find and follow the will of God. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. We want it to be a map. We want it to be a triptych. We want to know, I take a right turn here, a left turn there. God, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to, to go to this town or that town? Am I supposed to buy this house or that house? Am I supposed to go to this school or that school? We want to know what he wants us to do. And so often we find ourselves on top of that mountain looking around going, where is that trail? Right? Because God's will is like a game plan. It's not like a map. It's like a game plan. A map has everything spelled out for you. There's all the roads. There's all the trails. That's where you're supposed to go. A game plan has freedom and options within the rules. 
And so for a game plan, you need to know what game you're playing. Let's say football. We'll play football today. So we've got the rules of football. We know what the rules are because you've got to play within the rules. There are penalties called and there are consequences. And then you've got a coach who brings the playbook, right? And the coach has some experience and has been around the game for a while, knows which plays work and which plays don't work. And so the players learn the plays. They internalize the plays. They know how to run those plays. And those are the plays that work and make football uh, fruitful, so to speak. But there's a lot of freedom in the middle of a game, isn't there? I mean, players will call, uh, quarterbacks will call plays. Players will respond to what's going on in real time on the field. Uh, it's not every detail is spelled out. It's more of a game plan than a map, right? Now, just like a coach will call in a specific play every once in a while, God will call a specific play occasionally. Like, he'll just intervene and say, I want you to do this. Look, I need you to call so-and-so. Ever have that happen? I've had that happen a couple times in my life where it's like, I've just had this sense I'm supposed to call my friend Pete. And I call my friend Pete, and he's like, why are you calling me? We haven't talked in two years because I needed this call. You know, and it's just something inside. I can take you to the place in the first house that Christy and I bought. Um, I can take you to the place where I heard God speak, not audibly, but in my, in my heart, as we were walking through with the realtor, and he said, offer them half. Well, they had turned down more than half the week before. My realtor, who's a friend of mine, uh, laughed at me when I said, we're going to offer him half. And I said, I don't know, I might have heard the Lord on this. We offered him half, they took it. And, uh, and we ended up living in that house. And I think in that moment, in that time, God wanted us to live in that house for whatever reason. All right? But not always, not every house, not every decision. Occasionally, God will call in a specific play. But a lot of times, it's us making the best decision we can based on the game plan and the rules of the game as we navigate life. And God is actually glorified by that. We want him to direct every decision, but it doesn't always work that way. God's will is bigger than that. And we see this in the scriptures. In Acts chapter 13, you have this group of people in, uh, in Antioch, and they are praying and worshiping and fasting, and God speaks specifically to them and says, set aside Paul and Barnabas, for the work I've called them to, and their job was to go to the non-Jews and, and share Jesus. And so they do, they lay hands on them and pray for them, and they send them off, and it's like this huge, huge thing. I mean, God has spoken. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. And these are some of the superstars of the faith in the early church. But if you go over three chapters to chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we find the same two guys, they don't know what to do. It's completely unclear to them what they're supposed to do. Like we tried to go into Asia, but that door closed, so I guess God doesn't want us to go there. And then we tried to go into Bithynia, but that door closed too. So we're not sure. We don't think God wants us to go there. And then Paul wakes up one morning and goes, guys, I don't know if it was the pizza that I had last night or what it was, but I had this crazy dream, and there was this guy in Macedonia who was saying, come to Macedonia. Maybe we're supposed to go to Macedonia. So they tried that, and it worked. And they're like, all right, let's do that. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal of peace that the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote 
a majority of the New Testament wasn't exactly clear on what he was supposed to do in that moment. There's another time, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and, uh, and it's just, he's talking about his plans to come visit, him, visit them, and, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 5, he says, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps, he says, now I want to just listen to the tone of what he's writing. There's just, it's just full of uncertainty. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go, because I'm not sure right now where I'm going. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope, he says, to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is opened for me. So, so they've got this open door for ministry here in Ephesus. We're going to take that as a, a will, the will of God, and we're going to go with that. And there are many who oppose me. He's had some opposition in Ephesus as well. For those of us that get all wrapped around the axle about, I don't know, is, is, is it this or is it that? Should I do this? Oftentimes, oftentimes, God just wants us to make the best decision that we can, one that brings glory to him, one that's in obedience with his, his, what we know of his will or of his ways and all of that most of the time. So if it's, yeah, so don't get sideways when you don't know exactly what the next move is. Sometimes he'll call in a play and he'll make that obvious. And other times, he just wants us to figure it out as we go. Three, how we live is more important than where we live. How we live is more important than where we live. I had a friend stop in this week and say, hey, made this decision, uh, moving the family, have this career opportunity, and I just don't know, is it the right decision or is it not the right decision? And I smiled and I said, this weekend sermon's for you. I said, because how we live is way more important than where we live. God is more concerned with how we live than where we live most of the time. Now, he will call in a play every once in a while. He might say, I need you in Dallas or I need you wherever. And, and, and that happens from time to time. But often it's like, I don't care if you live in this house or this house, this town or that town. Are you living in obedience to him? Are you living to bring glory to him? Because that's the most important thing. And if he calls in a play, certainly follow that play. But he gives us a great deal of freedom to grow and explore and make decisions. Good parents do. You know, as your kids grow older, you want them to begin to make good decisions. I don't think God's any different. Even when I was a little kid, my parents would send, send my brother and I out to play, right? And they didn't tell us, look, for the first 15 minutes, you're going to do calisthenics. And then for the next 30 minutes, you're going to play Frisbee in the backyard. Then you're going to swing on the swing. And after you swing on the swing for 10 minutes, if anybody does that, you need to get therapy. That's really, going to, you're going to destroy your children. You want your kids to be able to explore and grow. They would send us into the backyard and they'd say, look, don't kill your brother. Don't shoot the dog with your wrist rocket and don't play in traffic. Other than that, figure it out. Have fun. Right? And we built forts and we went fishing and camping and, uh, you know, rode our bicycles all over the neighborhood and we had a blast. And we grew and we learned and, and it was, and guys, 
when it comes to God's will, there are times he'll call in a play, and we don't want to miss those, and he'll make it obvious when he's doing that. But a lot of the time, he just wants us to live within the constraints of the rules of the game, life, and he wants us to run the plays that are in the book. And if we can do those things, we can take a deep breath and relax a little bit because we'll be on the right track. So how do we walk in God's will for our lives? How do we find and follow the will of God? I've got a handful of, of things that will help you with that. And the first thing is this, nurture a friendship with God. Nurture a friendship with God. You're like, well, how do I nurture a friendship with God? Here's the secret to a friendship with God. Carve out quiet space in your life. God speaks in a still, small voice. And if you are always on your phone, if you're addicted to your phone, you can't put it down, or you're always, you're one of these personalities that always has to be talking to somebody and you never get by yourself, you got to carve out space to get by yourself and get quiet. And I'm reading a book I told you last week by Carolyn Leaf on uh, neuroplasticity and the mind-brain connection. It's fascinating stuff. But one of the things that neuroscientists are beginning to understand is that the brain is designed to need quiet space. It's designed to need downtime, time of thought, reflection, and just peace without a bunch of input. And your brain will be healthier. You will be healthier mentally if you can find that time. Well, that just happens to coincide with a Christian discipline called quiet time. Where we, where we schedule a time throughout our day or you know, at least once a day, sometimes throughout the day, where, where we just quiet ourselves and we listen. Like, God, what are you saying? And you might read some scripture or pray or just reflect and listen, but it gives God space to speak into our lives. Nurture that relationship with God. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be healthier for it. Number two, learn and follow the game plan. Learn and follow the game plan. It's called the Bible. And uh, in the Bible, are, are, it's a playbook, and the plays are in there. And some of them are obvious, like, you know, love people and be kind and all that stuff. Some of them aren't all that obvious. Like, be kind to your enemies. Who does that? Nobody does that. But Jesus said, be kind to your enemies. And guess what? If you will do that, that play works. That play opens doors, it breaks down walls. It's amazing if you will be kind to your enemies. Or, do, you know, do, you can do more with less if you honor God. So you can do more, like when it comes to the Sabbath, you can do more in six days than you can in seven. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't make a lot of sense, but you can. And I'm not going to give you all the examples of that today, but absolutely with a day of rest because you were made to to rest, you can be way more productive the rest of the week and you honor God. And as we do that, God brings blessing to what we do. It's, it's just amazing. But that's not intuitive. So you have to learn the plays. You have to, to learn God's word. And as you do, it begins to change your life. It does. But here's the problem. If you're here today on Sunday morning, research shows us that you will, by Wednesday, you will have forgotten 95% of what I've said today. 
I don't know if you're as discouraged as I am, but that's discouraging. If Coach Doc at Wheeling Park, go Patriots, were to start football season by saying, guys, we're just going to get together once a week and we're going to read the playbook. I'll read it to you. How well would they do in running those plays when they got to real games? They, wouldn't. they might understand the concepts of the plays, but they certainly wouldn't be part of who they are. Unless they were taking notes along the way, unless they were coming back around and, and looking at the playbook, unless they got together and talked about how they were going to do it together and then ran the plays. And then it becomes muscle memory. Then it becomes part of who they are. Guys, this is why we put these notes in your program. So you can take notes as you go, so that you can come back around during the week and go answer some of these questions that will help you process through how this applies to your life. It makes a huge difference. You could do this in that quiet time that we talked about. And then if you get together with a, with a life group, which kick off this week, if you get together with a life group, you can... You can talk about your experiences and how you've seen this play out in your life, and you can listen to other people's, and you can learn to run those plays together. And at that point, it becomes part of who you are. And the more you know the playbook, the better things are going to be for you because the plays, they make you better at life, and they make your life better because that's what works. Those are the plays that work in this life, and some of them are counterintuitive, as I've said. But maybe you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know a lot of Bible. I don't know a lot of the place. That's all right. Be obedient to what you know and start learning as you go. You know, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I love that picture. God's word illuminates our path. We want to know what God's will is, which direction, his light, his word. Like know that, learn that. Christy and I, uh, or whole family actually, we didn't leave the kids behind. We moved a while back. And we moved from one of these big Woodsdale houses to a smaller house in the woods. And, uh, and uh, the thing about a big house is that you fill it with crap, which is what we did. And so when we moved, we took all our crap with us. And uh, all of the stuff that we're not using is in our basement. And our basement if you go down the stairs to cross the basement, the light for the basement is on the other side of the basement. And so if I go down to my basement, I have this obstacle course that I have to navigate in the dark if it's nighttime. So, you know, I'm very slow and I knock things over and I kick stuff when I get over to the light switch and turn it on. Now, if I had just even a little like, like keychain flashlight, I could walk right across my basement like this, right? It's not, it's not a big spotlight. It's just a little bit of light. Be obedient to the light that you have. Be obedient to what you know. And God will give you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more as you go. It's why we teach the Bible here every week too, guys. It's why we encourage you to read it. It's why I beg and plead with you if you're not meeting together regularly with a group of people talking about God's Word, do it. It's, it's transformative. It's where the plays really start to become part of how, not just what we know, but how we live. See, God, didn't, God doesn't want you to just know his word. He wants you to be obedient for it. God didn't give us his word so, so we could become Bible scholars. 
He gave it to us so we could become obedient. Now, I'm not against Bible scholarship, and, you know, if you study the Bible, that please do. I do. But I think a lot of times we think, well, if I can just get more in my head, if I can learn more, and really God just wants us to be obedient to it. That's the point, right? The, the, the Bible scholars of Jesus' day missed the Messiah. They knew the Bible better than anybody else because it wasn't about obedience. It was about knowledge. Learn what you can and be obedient to what you know. Number three for finding and following God's word or, or will. Do your best and then chill out. Do your best and then chill out. Yeah, yeah. I, see, God's not nearly as uptight as you are. Well, I don't know. Actually, I don't know about you, but he's not as uptight as most Christians are. Like, he's, he's like, do your best and chill out. And even when I get it wrong, God is big enough to make it right. You know, if I'm doing my best, my motives are good. If I'm trying to obey God, he's going to take whatever mistakes I make along the way, and he's going to get me to a good place. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I have, I have it memorized. I, I, I live by it. And it says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That God, not that all things are good, certainly not, but even in our mistakes, God will take our best efforts and he will bring good out of them and he'll get us to where he wants us to be. That brings me a lot of peace. If I've done my best, God is good for the rest. He's got the rest of it. And that is not an excuse to be intentionally disobedient. So please don't hear me saying that. It's not like, well, God can redeem whatever, so I'm just going to be disobedient in this area of my life. And that's actually, well, there's a lot of, lot of Christians these days that think that they can play God. You, not play God, like, like I'm going to play that I'm pretending that I am God, but like they can play him. Like God has to forgive me, so I'm going to do what I want in this area of my life, and then I want his will over in this area of my life, and God will not be played. All right. Motives matter. Motives matter. I love Proverbs 16, 2 and 3. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them. So as we're navigating life, we're trying to, to make the best calls for our life. But motives are weighed by the Lord. But the Lord looks inside. Are we really trying to obey him? Are we really doing our best to follow him? And then he says this. I love this. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So if my heart is right towards God, and I'm doing my best, and my motives are good towards him, and I take whatever it is that I'm doing, and I'm like, God, I don't have a, a left or right turn signal here. I don't know which way to go, but I'm going to do the best that I can, and, and I'm going to commit all of this to you. Basically, what he's saying is, he'll establish your path. He'll get you to where you're going. You will find yourself somehow in the will of God, even if you're not perfect in the process. How cool is that? That takes so much pressure off. I love that. I love it. Number four, 
Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Obey the truth that you've got. See, if I follow today's instructions, tomorrow's instructions will become clear tomorrow. But if I am intentionally disobeying today's instructions, that puts noise on the line, guys. Makes it harder to hear God and what's coming tomorrow. Or if I have a part of my life where it's like, well, in my business, I really don't want to know what God's will is. But, you know, as far as who I'm supposed to marry, I'd really like to know that one. Well, you're going to have a hard time hearing if there's an area in your life that you're intentionally disobeying God because that puts static on the line. It makes it hard to hear. So do the next right thing. Proverbs 4.18 says this, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. The picture that he's painting is the, the path of the righteous, the path of those who do right, the path of those who obey God and are right with God, is the, every step that we take in obedience, it gets a little bit brighter and a little bit brighter. If you've ever been out deer hunting, how many deer hunters do we have? None? All right, we got one? All right. Are we really in West Virginia? I mean, for crying out loud. So... Um, but if you've ever been out deer hunting, you go out before, before it gets light out. It's pitch black. You can't see anything. It's just dark. And then the sun starts to come up a little bit, and it's kind of twilight, and you see, you see shapes. You know, you just see a movement here or there, but your eyes are kind of playing tricks. And, and then the further you get into the day, the morning sun rising, it gets brighter and brighter until you can see everything. And guys, as we choose to obey God in our next steps, just do the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter as far as the will of God is concerned. Obedience is so important. See, God's will isn't found in a series of perfect decisions. It's not found in in getting it right every time. It's found in a pattern of obedience. And as we do our best to obey the knowledge that we have, of the plays, and as we continue to learn, it will take each step and it'll get brighter and brighter and brighter as it goes. Number five, remember that when is as important as what? When is as important as what? Sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me a good bit. I'll get a picture of what we're supposed to do, like, you know, a picture of you need to build this or, or do that or, you know, whatever. And, uh, And then I go and I get ahead of God and I try and make it happen instead of waiting on God. Timing is kind of important. There was a guy in the Old Testament named Moses. He was born an Israelite in slavery in Egypt. And through a series of circumstances that you'll have to go back to the book of Exodus and read, he is uh, adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter and brought into the household of Pharaoh. And he grows up in the palace. And he knows he's an Israelite. He knows his people were in slavery. And somewhere deep inside, he knows that part of his mission in life is to win freedom for his people. And as a young man, he goes out one day and he watches one of the the, uh, Egyptian slave drivers beating an Israelite, and he intervenes and he kills the Egyptian. Well, this makes him an outlaw, and he has to run. And he spends the next 40 years hiding out in the desert of Sinai. 
he got ahead of God. Like he wasn't supposed to kill that guy. But he knew, I'm, I've got to win freedom, for, you know, and he got ahead of God. What if Moses didn't have to spend 40 years in the desert? What if he could have spent those years in the palace winning influence? And that whole thing could have been a whole lot easier. I don't know that that's, that's the case, but what if? We get ahead of God when we do the right thing at the wrong time. And for those of us who are driven, we've got to take a deep breath and go, God, okay, now I, I kind of have a picture of the what, when. When is important. You know, a couple years ago, we did something here called the Next Initiative. Actually, it was more than a couple years ago. It was about six years ago, seven years ago. I don't know. It's a long time ago. But uh, I was, had been lead pastor for a couple years, and we did a, a fundraising initiative for three things. One, we were going to buy a warehouse down the road from the church building on Warden Run Road so that we could stage all our outreach and offsite services from. And we did that, and it has been fantastic. It's just been a blessing and an asset to the ministry. The second thing was we were going to do ministry in Vietnam, and we we're going to partner with a ministry over there, training pastors, planting churches, equipping the underground church over there. And we've done that, and God has just blessed it, and we've seen amazing things happen over there. Lots of planted churches, lots of baptisms. We're working our way into Cambodia now, and God is still on the move, and that has been awesome. But the third thing that we were raising money for, and really a majority of the money for, was to plant campuses of our camp, of, of the vineyard, uh, all around the Ohio Valley. And, uh, and I believe with my whole heart that that is the vision for our church, and that's what we're supposed to, supposed to do. But I think we got the timing wrong. What I didn't realize at the time, what we didn't realize at the time, is we weren't ready for that yet. Now, God is taking all of that, and he has set us up to be able to do that beautifully when the time comes, and that's awesome. But it's a little embarrassing when you get ahead of God sometimes. Ever happened to you? I hope, hope it has. You need to do that at least once. So. <laughs> Teaches you humility. So, this is my Jeff Foxworthy bit. You might be getting ahead of God if. You ready? You might be getting ahead of God if you have to do the wrong thing to accomplish the right thing. Moses killed a guy. Mm. No. You might be getting ahead of God if you hurt the people you love the most to accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish or that you feel like God wants you to accomplish. I have a propensity to be a workaholic. Hello, my name is Chris, and I'm a pastoraholic. I've got a problem. No, I, I, I will. Left to my own devices, I will work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I love progress. I love seeing stuff get done. I will not do that, though, because I have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old who, when they grow up, the win for me is they love Jesus and they love the church. And they're not going to if I'm never around. I have a wife, and the win for me is that she loves me, and she loves Jesus, and she loves the church. And she's going to hate all three of us if I am never around and not a husband to her and I'm, have a mistress that is the church. doesn't work. And so I know that Jesus said he's going to build his church, and I will work a reasonable, intense number of hours a week 
And I'm going to trust him for the rest because I'm not going to get ahead of God and try and make things happen at the expense of my family. And you shouldn't either. You might be getting ahead of God if what you're doing is ignoring God, godly, wise counsel. God works through godly, wise counsel. And if you don't have people in your life who can, you can run ideas by and get their, their thoughts, uh, who are godly people and wise people, you need to get some of those people in your life. But here's what I found. Occasionally, God will call in a play that he doesn't let them know about, but most of the time they do. I'd say 98% of the time, if a majority of my advisors are saying, you don't want to do that, then they're probably not going to do it unless there's some really extenuating circumstances. And I see this happen a lot. Young, young folks, one of whom really, really wants to get married, and all their friends, their family are like, no, don't, it's a bad idea. Not him, not her, she's nuts, don't do it. And they're like, oh no, we're in love, it's going to be awesome. It's awesomely spectacular, spectacularly catastrophic usually. That's what that is. Listen to godly, wise counsel. Six, when you find yourself in a valley, don't stop following when you find yourself in a valley, don't stop following. Sometimes obeying God will lead you into difficult circumstances. And I know for some of us this really challenges your theology because somewhere along the line you began to believe that God exists to keep you happy and safe and comfortable. And then the reality is sometimes God will lead you to a difficult place. And he will accomplish things in those difficult places that can't be accomplished anywhere else. But you need to know this. God doesn't lead us to those difficult places. He doesn't lead us into the valley to leave us in the valley. He's on the way to somewhere. I love the picture that David paints in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. God is my shepherd. He takes care of me. He leads me beside quiet waters. He uh, gives me rest and green pastures and all of that. And then he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. See, in Israel, in the rainy season, they graze the sheep down in the, down in the lowlands. But as the things dry out, it becomes like a desert there. And so they have to lead them through the valleys to get to the mountaintops where the green grass is. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a valley, it's not because God has abandoned us. It's not even because we've been disobedient. We need to continue to be obedient. It's because he's leading us from the lowlands where it's become a desert to the highlands where the green lush grass is. But necessarily, you have to go through the valley to get there. Keep going. Don't stop obeying God just because you're in a rough spot. So, my friends, relax. Chill out. It's a game plan. God will guide you to where he needs you to be. Just learn his word, obey the best you can, and his will will come into focus over time. And if you get it wrong, He's got this uncanny ability to take it and redeem it and make it 
right. So you can relax and just live in a loving relationship with your heavenly Father, knowing that you've got some freedom along the way to learn and grow and build some forts, ride your bicycle, change the world, and other fun things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you made us to live this life and, and enjoy this life and, and to have impact in this life. Lord, thanks that your ways make us better at life and make our lives better. And I pray, God, that you would help each one of us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.